and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. Today we're going um, to do something. Open up your Bibles. Anybody still bring a Bible to church? I mean, anybody? Come on, grab your phone, your device, or that hard copy, that dinosaur. Pull that thing out. Turn to the last book of the Bible. As a matter of fact, the second to the last chapter in the book, Revelation chapter 21. Give you some time to get there. Uh, we want to encourage you to take some notes this morning. We highly encourage note-taking. Do we have any note-takers in the house? Come on. Awesome. You just get more when you write it down. And so we just want to encourage you to write some things down. Uh, if you're taking notes this morning, uh, you can title the message, Maranatha. How many's ever heard that term before, Maranatha? Yeah, it's a band, but it's so much more than that, right? Isn't it a band or a song? I don't know. Maranatha, it means come Lord Jesus. Actually, in the early church, they would greet each other with this word. Under intense fire, under persecution, they would greet each other with this word, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. And it was under intense conflict and persecution that the early church was always quick to remind each other that Jesus is coming soon and it's all gonna be worth it. And I believe the Holy Spirit's gonna reawaken that cry in his bride one more time before the day, the, the, before, in the generation the Lord returns. Um, so Maranatha, the hope of the resurrection. That's what we're gonna talk about today, all right? Buckle your seatbelts. One more time, look at your neighbor and say, you're not ready for this today. Look alive. <laughs> Revelation 21, ready or not. Here we go. Also, just a quick little uh, side note. There's only one book in the Bible that promises a blessing to those who read it out loud and for those who hear it read out loud. That's the book of Revelation. So even if we don't accomplish anything else today, we're all blessed because we're doing this right here, all right? Here we go, Revelation 21, verse 1. And this is John the Apostle writing. History records that they tried to boil him alive in oil but he wouldn't die. So they said, since we can't kill this guy, we're going to banish him to the island of Patmos. And it's there that God opens up and gives him the book of Revelation. The revelation of Jesus. Amen. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Here we go. Are you ready? If you don't have a Bible, we got you covered. We got magical Bibles in the sky for you, okay? Then I, John, saw a what? And a... For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. What's those next two words, everybody, audience participation? Coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. <laughs> verse, verse three, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They'll be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, crying, and pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Verse 5, and he who was seated on the throne said this, the pinnacle of, of the entire Bible, Behold, I'm making how many things? All things new, not some things. I'm making all things new. Can we pray real quick this morning? And, and not just that token that we do as preachers because that's what we do before we preach. Can we really engage Jesus? Because we, 
We need to hear the word of the Lord, church. If there is ever an hour in history where we don't just need cute sermons, we need the word of the Lord, it's today. So Holy Spirit, we trust you for that. We ask you to come and minister to your bride, build up the church, God, strengthen her, God, for the hour we're in so that we can represent Jesus. We want to show the earth what Jesus really looks like. He's so good, and we want the earth to see it through our lives. God, we pray that you would come and breathe on these moments. Make them matter. Let there be fruit come in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. Well, I'm sure, you know, we can all relate to this uh, scenario, this experience on some level, where you like, you know, you head into something and you have these certain expectations of how that thing's going to go before you ever get there. Anybody else have like overactive imagination like I do? It's probably a diagnosis in the 21st century. I probably need medicine, but I've got an overactive imagination. And so for me, my mind takes me somewhere in theory way before I ever get there in reality. Anybody else? And you got this whole thing played out in your mind. You know how it's going to go down. You know, you know what it's all going to look like only to get to the other side of the scenario and, and watch those expectations that you had played out in your mind get blown out of the water like a ship getting hit with a torpedo. Anybody else ever had that happen? Didn't even come close to what I imagined it was going to look like. Okay, so quick story uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with our family's journey. Start of 2020, we all love that year, don't we? Uh, we felt God calling our family of six to leave the comfort of what we knew behind and set out on a faith journey to trust God completely. Now, that translated for us into quitting our jobs, selling most of our earthly possessions, buying a camper for our family of six to live in, and setting out to uh, partner with a worldwide missions organization called YWAM. It's an acronym, Youth for with a Mission, Youth with a Mission. We would drive our camper some thousand miles to Orlando, Florida for a six-month missions training experience, and then we would continue our travels all over the country um, from there. Best decision we've ever made as a family. All that to say, we pull out of our driveway in Republic. We got a 35-foot travel trailer behind us, which I'd never driven before. <laughs> Everything we own is in it, and we're going to drive a thousand miles across the country, not to... Uh, not to mention it's March 2020. We all love that month, right? In 2020, the pandemic had just hit the shores of the United States. Everybody's freaking out. The world is burning down. Every, everything's up in the air except for one thing. We felt like God told us to go. And if God didn't show up, we knew we were going down. We are going down. We had so many expectations going into an adventure like that. And uh, first off, we're headed to Florida, which is a big plus. Am I right? Florida. And we're thinking in our mind, beaches, sand, flip-flops, tank tops, give me some sunscreen and a volleyball. Let's go. But when we pull onto the mission base where we're going to be staying for the unforeseeable future, there's no sand, there's no beach, and there's no water park. We pull onto a 200-acre property that can only be accurately compared to Jurassic Park. The big gates swing open that are holding the T-Rex at bay. The Jurassic Park theme song starts playing. All of it. We quickly realize if we put flip-flops on here, we're losing toes. <laughs> Our four kids, you know, they're in heaven. We didn't even see them for the first, like, month until, unless they were hungry or tired. They'd show back up to the camper just covered in dirt, missing shoes and socks. And it was awesome. 
So not too long after we get there, uh, Brooke and I were driving back um, to our camper from another part of the base where we'd eat lunch every day. And we could see our middle son, and he's kind of like off on the side of the road up ahead doing something, our middle son, Jojo. And he, we can't really tell what he's doing until we get a little bit closer. And the closer we get, we realize Jojo's trying to pin the head of a snake down onto the ground so he can pick it up, trying to pin the head down, which isn't that big a deal. Uh, unless uh, it's not that big a deal because that's what Jojo does, uh, except he's trying to, he's using a Swiss army knife to pin the head down, you know, like a one inch blade on that thing. Not to mention he's not wearing any shoes. Remember we're in Jurassic Park. Turns out that Jojo's trying to pick up the second deadliest snake in the world with the Swiss army knife, the coral snake, only topped by the black mamba, <laughs> right? I can't even hit the brakes in the car. When my wife realizes what's going on, her feet start moving faster than I've ever seen any feet move. She hits the ground running. Hollywood movie, football tackles our son out of the way, saves his life from the serpent. <laughs> yeah, no shoes. What a kid. What we expect determines how we respond. Okay? JoJo's approach to the second deadliest snake on the planet was no shoes, no shirt, no problem. Just give me a Swiss army knife. What's the problem? His response, it was casual because what he expected was casual. He had no idea what the thing was capable of. He had no idea what the actual implications could be. He just thought it was a cool colored snake. So he didn't give it any thought, right? Awkward transition. I, uh, I wonder if we can compare this story in some ways to the average church-going, Jesus-lover's relationship with the idea of the age to come, right? Uh, or the coming of the kingdom of God, which will be fully manifest at the second coming of Christ. And it's sort of like approaching the second deadliest snake in the earth with a pocket knife and no shoes. We got very little idea what the actual implications could be, so we're sort of casual about it, and if we can all be honest, by and large, I think we could probably admit that we're somewhat disinterested in it, right? And the proof is that we just don't give it very much thought, right? When was the last time? We'll just go there. When was the last time you thought about the age to come? When was the last time you grabbed your favorite latte and your best bud and went to Starbucks, sat down and had a rousing conversation about where you'll be, and what you'll be doing for the billions of years after this age is over. We don't. We don't. And I believe the Holy Spirit in this hour, and I'm talking the 2020s, this decade, dramatic statement, I believe the 2020s, this decade, will be the most dramatic transitional decade in history. And you guys can see it, right? Life on the planet is changing. Sorry, Things will never go back to the way they were before 2020. They just won't. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit is emphasizing through this transition, this history, is that he's getting the body of Christ, which is us, beloved. He's getting us to transition to an apostolic gospel paradigm, the gospel of the kingdom. Okay, so whoa, what does that even mean? Glad you asked. The mindset that is super common in the Western world and really all over, all over the world is that the primary blessing that you and I are looking for as Jesus followers 
is for God to touch with his power our temporary natural circumstances. And so like more money, more health, more power, more influence, which isn't bad, uh, but it's actually a secondary issue in the gospel that the apostles preached in the Bible, the gospel of the kingdom. The primary issue emphasized by the apostles and by Jesus is that the decisions you and I make in this age affect the age to come, right? The decisions we make right now have a payoff in the age to come, right? The primary issue in the New Testament presentation of the gospel is the age to come, right? It's an eternal perspective. Understanding this, getting a little bit more than nothing on a biblical perspective concerning the new world order under Jesus' government and leadership is critical for us because it affects how we view the future. That's our future, right? And what we believe about our future does what? It affects how we live right now. It does. When we keep eternity in mind, right? When we're intentional about eternity, it makes us intentional about right now, right? It's what Paul meant when he told the Colossians, I want you to fix your mind on things that are above, not on things of the earth. Set your mind on things above. It's where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, right? Having an eternal perspective, you know what it means? It means we actually think about eternity, right? We cannot, church, we can't afford to underestimate and misunderstand our destiny. An anemic perspective of our lives in the age to come makes us casual about how we spend our lives right now. What we believe about where we're going forms how we live today. This is a big deal. It's a big deal. We actually, uh, we made the decision we're going to bring this conversation up with our students and our small groups, right? Because how many know students will actually tell you what they think, right? Right? So we asked them, hey, what's the first thought that you have when you start to think about eternity? Just what's the first thought? It didn't take long for one of our students to chime in and he says, hey, I feel a little bit guilty about this, uh, but I'm just gonna say it. you asked. Heaven kind of sounds boring. I mean, what is it? Are we just gonna go to church all the time or what? <laughs> I love yous. If you pay attention to what students are saying, they're very often saying what everybody else is thinking. They just have the courage to say it or they're not smart enough not to say it, who knows? I would venture to say that this is one of those instances, right? And this young man, he probably speaks for a lot of us, right? That when we actually do stop long enough to think about eternity, to think about the second coming of Jesus, the age to come, our thoughts are mostly abstract, obscure, and ethereal, kind of like we're floating on a cloud and playing a harp, some kind of eternal church service in the sky where we're going to spend billions of years singing. I know there's streets of gold. That kind of sounds okay. Meanwhile, we fantasize about the boat we want, the chocolate eclair, the trip to Italy, and the Chiefs going to the Super Bowl again. I mean, heaven definitely sounds better than the alternative. But if that's the best we can come up with, no wonder life here seems so much more exciting. No wonder the temporary has such a hold on our souls. I mean, it's important. Do not store up for yourselves 
treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. It's the gospel of the kingdom, right? So let me ask you what we asked our students. What comes into your mind when you think about eternity, right? When, the, when you think about the coming kingdom of God in the age to come, what do you think about? What specifics are you banking everything on, right? Pause and think about it, right? And I know when I pause and reflect, the entire concept seems pretty much empty in my soul, like an abandoned house, an, an attic in an abandoned house, right? Beloved, this place in our hearts needs to be filled with rich images and great expectation, the hope of the resurrection, the coming kingdom of God. It is the the fuel that is meant to sustain our journey here in the earth, right? Maybe the reason lots of us are losing heart is because we don't fully understand the glorious promise waiting for us right around the corner. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great, Reward for what you need endurance so that when you've done the will of God, you'll obtain the promise. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 15. Let's build this idea a little bit. You guys okay? Is this all right? 1 Corinthians 15, look at what Paul says. Hey, honestly, if you want a great chapter, a, a great starting point where you, where you get some specifics about the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15. Go home, read the whole chapter, read it really slow, And as you read it, pause and say, thank you, Holy Spirit, that this is my story. Show me more. Show me more. Okay? Look what Paul says. If the only benefit of our hope in Christ is limited to this life only, then you and I deserve to be pitied above everybody else. Right? C.S. Lewis said it like this. If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought most about the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think about the other world that they've become so ineffective in this one. Wow. The person that truly understands that their destiny is glorious and it is certain is the person that's the most free to live a radical life of love and sacrifice on the earth. This is a big deal. The age to come It's the most beautiful, the most hopeful, the most glorious promise ever given in any story, religion, philosophy, or fairy tale. And it is real, and it's ours. It's ours. And as we see ourselves in that story, we begin to be motivated by it. So my goal, I want to give you a couple ideas this morning on this. I just want to stir up your holy imagination. Uh, And I want to look at two things. I want to look at the renewed earth and the resurrected body. The renewed earth and the resurrected body. When was the last time you heard a sermon on that? Never? That's the problem. Okay? The Bible gives us a lot of information about this. A framework of understanding surrounding the kingdom of God, the implications for us. We, there's a lot of details we don't have, but it, there's a general framework. And if you're hungry for it, you can start to put together the details and get a a framework, a picture of what our life, some of what our life is going to be like then, okay? Not all the details, but we can definitely get more than a little bit, okay? And so 
again, I'm not saying we all need to be experts in this, but I believe the Holy Spirit is going to stir the, the, the bride of Christ up. So we start leaning into this conversation little by little. All right, number one, the restored earth. Here we go. Are you ready? Buckle your seatbelts, Revelation 21.5. And he who was seated on the throne said this, Behold, I'm making all things new. This is the centerpiece of God's eternal purpose. This has always been the final destination for all of creation in the heart of God. It has never not been this. This is what everything you see going on in the earth right now is setting the stage for. That ought to change your perspective. Everything going on is setting the stage for this. Jesus will come back to the planet, and when he comes back a second time, he's staying for good. And he's going to fully establish his kingdom over all the earth. Over all the earth, right? He's going to join the heavenly realm and the earthly realm together. It's the fullness of what Jesus taught his disciples when they asked him, how do we pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's the pinnacle. This is the pinnacle of the Bible, it takes place in these few words. I'm making all things new, right? This is the final word, the summation of the entire Bible regarding your future, right? Contrary to popular belief, Jesus is not coming back to destroy the earth. He's coming back to restore it, right? And I think, I don't know if you're like me, lots of us have this ominous idea that in the end times, God annihilates everything and creates all, all new things, right? And creates new ones. But that's not what the Bible teaches us. Notice that God promised to make all things new, not all new things, right? It's a new heaven, it's a new earth, and it's a new Jerusalem. Yes, those heaven, earth, and Jerusalem are going to be renewed in beauty and glory under the leadership of Jesus, but it's still Jerusalem, heaven, and earth, right? Follow me. It's not what the Bible teaches us. The primary message of the kingdom, it's redemption, not annihilation, okay? Now, yes, there are passages in the Bible about the end of the age that give Kirk Cameron a run for his money on his best day, Right? But the implications are always that the earth is cleansed and renewed, not vaporized like the Death Star. Okay? And I wonder some ways, if you're like me, I misunderstood my destiny. If you're like me, I thought we were going, we were going, when, I thought we were leaving the earth and going to some ethereal heaven somewhere at the coming of the Lord. But that is not the Bible. You want to know what your future looks like? You want to know what your story as a Jesus follower, how it plays out? You will be renewed in full resurrection potential in the age to come, and the life we have and the persons we are will continue forever, and it will continue in the universe which now exists. you imagine that? Contrary to popular belief, Jesus is not coming to take us to heaven. He's bringing heaven down to us. And I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Look at what Jesus says, Matthew 19. Truly I tell you, this is Jesus' words, at the, what's the next word? Renewal of 
How many things? At the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on His glorious throne, everybody who's left houses, brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, wives, children, fields, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and inherit eternal life. Look at your neighbor and say, the renewal of all things. Right? Now, can I teach just for a minute here? If you look at uh, the Greek word used here for the word renewal, it's another puzzle piece, and you put it together, and you get a broad picture of what life is going to be like in the age to come. The word renewal is a Greek word, palingensia, okay? It's made up of two root words, paling meaning again, and gensia, guess what that means? Beginning, Genesis, okay? Pointing us back to Genesis. So in other words, Jesus says the renewal of all things, it's Genesis again. It's the Garden of Eden restored, right? The kingdom of God means the great restoration. Beloved, you and I, we were made for the renewal of all things. God has given us a heart for the kingdom, not the vagaries of a cloudy heaven and a heart, but a sharp reality of a world made brand new. The great renewal, it rescues us from the unimaginable, out-of-reach visions of an eternal life somewhere up above. When Jesus spoke of the restoration of all things, it's tangible. He wanted you to be able to reach out and touch it, right? The renewal of all things, it means the earth we love, the special places, the treasured memories, they're completely restored and renewed under Jesus' perfect leadership and then given back to us forever. You imagine, right? It's the Garden of Eden reality unlike anything we could ever, ever imagine. It's our future. This is your future, okay? The renewal of all things. It's, this is meant to be the centerpiece of our view of the world, the centerpiece of our hope, our tangible expectation as we, as we plan out our, our days on this, on this earth. If our idea of heaven is sort of like we are going to be sitting on a cloud and floating around playing a harp, you will maybe think about that occasionally. And when you do think about it, it will not motivate you at all, right? But if there's actual material dimensions to this, and this is actually my story, and it's actually how we're going to live for billions of years, and my choices right now actually affect how I live then, that will motivate us. The renewal of all things, it changes everything. It changes everything. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. Build a framework. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the imagination of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Right? This is the grid that we look at these eternal realities through. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard. It's never even entered into the imagination of a man. So you could take Walt Disney, you could take Steven Spielberg, you could take the next 10 great Imagineers of our age, put them in a room on their best day, and what they could come up with, it won't not even come close. It would never even enter into their imagination what's waiting for us at the end of the age, right? Here's an example. Uh, if you read Revelation 2.17, it says that Jesus will give us a white stone. Okay, I read one commentary and the guy was like, well, I think it means we get a little rock. Like, dude, I don't think so, man. I think this white stone, I think this white stone is more spectacular than what has ever entered into the imagination of a man. 
I mean, Jesus' personality never changed. He is vastly creative. Look at the universe. Look at the sun. Look at the stars. So whatever you do, do not dumb down your future in the age to come and be content. I'm saying, Holy Spirit, show me more. Let my mind understand just a little bit more than I do now about what's coming then. 17th century philosopher, he said this. Uh, he said, our imagination so powerfully magnifies time by continual reflections upon it and so diminishes eternity. For want of reflection, we make nothing of eternity and an eternity of nothing. This is a dangerous game, right? What will waterfalls be like in the new age? What about the giant sequoias? colorful wildflowers? What will rain be like? What will it be like to visit the special places you love and see them in their full potential and their glory? How sweet will it be to revisit treasured nooks and vistas and gardens and swimming holes again, to see them as they truly are, unveiled everything God meant it to be? Part of what makes the wonder of this so beautiful is that even though it's a new earth, it's still our earth. It's the one we love. This is romance at its best. Look at this, Isaiah 11. I love these. The wolf will romp. This is the prophet Isaiah getting a glimpse into the age to come. The wolf will romp with the lamb. The leopard sleep with the kid. Calf and lion will eat from the same trough and a little child will tend them. Cow and bear will graze the same pasture. Their calves and cubs grow up together and the lion eats straw like the ox. The nursing child will crawl over the, the rattlesnake dens. The toddlers will stick their hands down the hole of a serpent. Jojo's gonna love the age to come. Neither animal nor human will hurt or kill on my holy mountain. Now get this, the whole what? The whole earth will be brimming with Knowing God alive, a living knowledge of God, ocean deep and ocean wide. This place in our hearts needs to be filled with vivid imagination and real expectation, right? Now, unless you want to take that as completely allegorical, there's what in the new, and what is there in the age to come? Wolves lambs, leopards, sheep, lions and tigers and bears. It's our story, church. This is our story. It's all ours. And we can never lose it because of the ransom that Jesus paid on our behalf. We really have it made. I mean, for billions of years, we have it made. For billions of years, we'll, we'll explore and we'll discover and we'll come home and tell the tales without curfews, without the end of a vacation looming over our heads. What will it be like to freely explore the, the, the beautiful places that have been completely restored in Jesus, under Jesus' leadership and perfect glory? We'll take up new adventures. With those who want to, we'll sail the seven seas. We'll climb the peaks of the Andes. We'll range the universe itself. These things, they're truly real and the most concrete part about you and I. Don't let anybody cheat you out of this hope. 
this spiritual lifeline. Don't let anybody diminish the beauty, power, and significance of this hope above all hopes. The Bible says that this hope is meant to be like an anchor for our souls, right? Hold fast, be greatly encouraged. We have this hope like an anchor for our souls. Can we do the resurrected body in five minutes? This is my favorite part. Ready? Number two. First John 3, verse 2. Who knows how we'll end up? What we do know, okay, is that when Christ is openly revealed, we will see him. And what's going to happen when we see him? Right? We will become like him. All of us who look forward to this coming, stay ready with the glistening purity of Jesus' life as a model for our own. This is our story, okay? That God will give you and me a resurrected body that will be conformed to Jesus' resurrected body. In seeing him, we will become like him. In other words, what happens in Jesus' resurrected body will be what happens in ours when we're resurrected. Okay, Paul tells the Philippians, same thing. He'll transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Now, not to the same degree of glory as Jesus, but we will be like him in type, okay? Now, this is where it gets fun, at least for me. Are you guys still with me, or is this way out in left field? This is where it gets fun, because when Jesus was crucified, what happened after that? They buried him in the ground, and on the third day he was What's that word? Raised from the dead, resurrected. And then what happened? He showed himself to his disciples for 40 days. In other words, we get some hints into what Jesus' resurrected body looks like. And as we look at his resurrected body, it helps us to understand what our resurrected body is going to be like. <laughs> this, is, this is scary. Are you ready? Luke 24, verse 36. This is one of the instances where Jesus showed up to his disciples after he was resurrected. While they were still talking about him, about this, Jesus himself stood among them and he said, peace be with you. They were scared out of their brains. They were startled and frightened thinking it was a, they thought it was a ghost, verse 38. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my Look at my hands and my feet, okay? <laughs> this is fun. It's me. It's, G it's me. Handle me and see. Ghosts do not have flesh and, oh, you're getting it, right? As you see that, I've got, okay? When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Keep going, it gets weirder. And while, they still, and while they still did not believe because of the joy and amazement, he asked them something. I'm hungry. Does anybody have anything to eat? Anybody got some food? And they gave him what? They gave him a boiled fish, and he did something with it. What did he do with the fish? He ate it. <laughs> this is fascinating, right? The disciples encounter the resurrected Jesus, and they assume it's an apparition or a phantom like the ghost of Jesus past or something, right? And Jesus is quick to give them a lesson in biology. 
human biology. I got hands and feet, boys. Handle me. It's me. I've got flesh and bones. You see, I've got them. The resurrected Jesus. He's got flesh and bones. His disciples are touching him. He's tangible. He's approachable. He's personal. There's a physicality to Jesus. And then it gets weirder. We see him start eating food. He's eating a natural fish, which means he can chew, swallow, and digest. Wow. And then we see that same guy walking through closed doors and disappearing from one place and appearing in another. How does that work? You eat a natural fish and then walk through a door. Does the fish stay on the other side of the door or does it go with you? I don't know. Right? Jesus has given us a biology 1.0 lesson that, and he's showing us that we can do physical things in our resurrected body. And then he gives us a biology 2.0 lesson and he shows us that we'll be able to do things that are not even on the grid for the human frame. What will the resurrection be like? In seeing him, we will become like him, right? There will be a continuity between your glorious resurrected body and the one you have right now right? Jesus will transform your lowly body, give you a resurrected body. The resurrection speaks of transforming the body you have now, not creating a completely new one. You will still have your own unique personality, genetics, and appearance, but it will be brought to absolute perfection in glory. You will be you forever. Yeah. You ever imagined what it would be like if the fall had never taken place? You ever wondered what an unbroken unstained, glorious, true, unblemished version of you would be, right? No false self, no, no woundedness, nothing shaped by the brokenness around you. It's almost incomprehensible, but beloved, you will get to know that person really well. There will be a physicality in your resurrected body. We will have material bodies in the resurrection. You'll have supernatural flesh and bones. You'll have elbows and fingers. You think you look good now? You ain't seen nothing yet. All right? Can I give you one more point? It's like my favorite one. It, so when, when we're resurrected, I just don't think that God's going to give us a microchip and we're going to instantly know everything there is to know about everything right? That's like we're omnipotent all of a sudden. We will not have all knowledge. In other words, you will not know anything more the moment after you're resurrected than you do the moment before, which means that we will continue to learn little by little, just like we do now, except without the weakness and the pain, without the brain fog, without the frustration, without the limitation, without the misunderstanding that we face now, we will learn forever under perfect glory. Our minds will be brought to full resurrection potential. We will work together with each other with a deep sense of purpose in partnership with God for billions of years as we build his kingdom. What will it be like to be free from accusation? to look in the mirror and not hear any accusing thoughts or voices, to be completely free from all temptation that tries to sabotage your character, 
Not because you're successfully resisting it in a great moment of resolve, but because it no longer exists anywhere on the planet. You are healed and restored as a human being with a glorious body in a perfectly renewed earth. So the question is, what have you always dreamed about doing? Right? What gifts have you yearned to express? What have you always wanted to be great at? Those things are part of your personhood and they were given to you by God. Dream, my friends. What will we do in the age to come? The simple answer is this. You will do everything that you were born to do. What a glorious day that will be. Can I give you one more uh, verse here? Band, if you guys got a song, come on up. 2 Corinthians verse uh, chapter 5. Do we have that? Did I give that to you guys? I'll just read it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We are convinced that even if these bodies we live in are folded up at death like tents, we will still have a God-built home that no human hands have built, which will last forever. We inwardly sigh as we live in these physical tents, longing. When was the last time you longed for this? The early church did. It's the gospel of the kingdom. They longed to put on a new body for their life in heaven. They longed for it, right? in the belief that once we put on our new clothing, our new body, we won't find ourselves naked anymore. So while we're living in this tent, while we're living in this age, in this body, we groan under its burden, not because we wanna die, but because we want these new bodies. When's the last time you did that? We crave, he goes on, we crave for all that is mortal to be swallowed up by eternal life. The early church, they didn't just talk about this. It wasn't just a cute message on a Sunday morning to them. They craved for it. God, awaken your bride again to the hope resurrection it's the hope above all hopes he goes on to say this is why we're always full of courage it's why we're always full of courage the early church experienced more persecution than we'll ever know most of the apostles were martyred and the ones that weren't they they couldn't kill got banished to islands like Patmos But through it all, we're always full of courage. Beloved, this is the only hope that's going to sustain us in the days to come. It's the only hope that's going to breathe the courage in us that we need to stand strong for Jesus till the end. We ache for redemption. You haven't put your finger on it yet. But that ache inside of you, 
that ache inside the whole of creation, even creation itself, it's for redemption. What your heart cries out for is restoration and the stunning, breathtaking good news, the gospel of the kingdom. It's just that. It's restoration. It's exactly what Jesus promised. A great day of restoration is coming soon to a city near you. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me slash give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.